and we've built out products so that the companies can communicate with their investor base even after the raise they can use them as a source of capital some of our most successful issuers are multi-time raisers from their own community and they have investors who have invested in every round the company has done and so really thinking about that community powering the business you're listening to the Digital Data Cafe podcast, where we talk about everything data-driven in your world. Join us each week to hear from the world's top business and industry leaders on why using data in a digital world matters. Here's your host, Albert Thompson. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on an episode of the Digital Data Cafe. Now, this is typically hosted by someone else, but I get to take over the show because I just frankly get the opportunity to take over the show. So I'm excited to host the Digital Data Cafe. I have two amazing guests with me today. I have Lee Wen, the founder of Whimsical. She's got an amazing product called Waltz, and we'll get into that. Lewin, thanks for taking the time to jam with me. I'm excited to uh, talk with you. And I also have Rebecca, the CEO and co-founder of DealMaker. Ladies, thank you for taking your time this morning to come chat with me. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'll be honest, I've been looking forward to this conversation all week long. Um, there's, I think there's so many entrepreneurs that are actively listening to the show and engaging in this content. And I am just really excited to get into the topic of raising money for your company. Uh, but before we do that, I love kicking off these shows with a little origin story. A, because I'm actually the one that's probably more curious than anything, because I don't think anybody just wakes up one day and goes, yeah, that's what I'm going to do with my career. Um, and that's the company I'm going to build. So I love finding out everyone's origin story. So uh, Lee, when I'll, I'll start with you, kind of how you got started and how Whimsical got started. And then Rebecca, I'll ask you the same question. Okay. Hi. Um, well, this is not something I just, like you said, wake up one day and say, okay, I'm going to start a whimsical. It's actually, I worked in Wall Street for decades and uh, one day the co-founder came and saying, hey, you know, a family friend just lost the land and, you know, this is so unfair. It's something like this can happen because the deed was fraudulent. And this is how that whole thing started. We said, well, you know, we have to be able to authenticate the document and also authenticate the holder of the document to avoid this kind of thing in the future. So this is how the whole thing, it's not an aha, you know, let's get that started. But it's more like, oh, this is so unjust, so unfair. And that's how we started. That's cool. A lot of things come out of just kind of practical usage, right? You know, you just kind of have this aha moments. That makes sense. Rebecca, for you kind of, you know, did this just, what was that aha moment for you or how did the, kind of the origin story of deal of, of, of how you kind of created the company and where you are today? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, I was a capital markets attorney. Please, listeners, don't hold that against me. I call it a recovering lawyer now. Uh, but I was in the capital markets my whole career, over a decade, taking companies public, doing a lot of capital raising transactions. And I started a startups program because I was working with a lot of entrepreneurs and founders. And I saw that legal costs 
for them to raise money were really high. And I saw it as an opportunity for technology to automate something that really wasn't working for my clients. And so it was really also similar to Lewin, um, born out of the need that I saw that people just weren't satisfied with the services that they were getting. I think there was other factors as well. You know, I had small kids and law is quite long hours and demanding. And I really wanted to pursue a career where I could make big changes in the world, but I didn't really see that working for my family life. And so there's always a bunch of different factors, which I like to highlight because I think there's probably other people out there feeling that way as well. And it was a change that I made gradually over time. I worked on the business on the side for many years alongside with my co-founder before we eventually raised a funding round and made the jump to full-time. You know, I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because, you know, I, I think a lot of people kind of get in, into the idea of, you know, building a business and being the entrepreneur. And, you know, we don't really ever really get to talk about kind of that, that in-between moment where, you know, you're, you're still kind of holding down a regular job, but you're still kind of building your dream at the same time. And at what point do you kind of like take that transition? You're like, okay, I'm closing my eyes. I'm putting my feet together and I'm jumping into the pool you know, head first. Right. Um, and I think that's actually a cool question. So I'm going to ask both of you guys kind of, when was that moment that you jumped in head first, uh, Luen, for you, when was that moment where you're like, okay, I'm done wall street. I'm gone. Cause that, that, that's a big one, right? Bye bye wall street. And you jumped in head first into the business. Well, I have to say it's not easy. Um, <laughs> I also like Rebecca, I have two kids, you know, and, um, I had this idea, we were building the prototype. I did not want to quit my job, you know, it's something that, you know, you have to feed the family. And, um, but, you know, the moment that I decided, okay, that's it, was when we uh, built a prototype and we joined the, um, the Tel Aviv uh, FinTech Hackathon. We said, well, this idea is kind of, you know, um, let's check it out to see if anyone think that this is a good idea. You know, it's kind of visionaries, kind of uh, Web 3.0, which turns out to be exactly what we, you know, what we're trying to build at the time. And uh, so we entered the hackathon and the next thing we know, won the first prize out of all places in Tel Aviv, you know. So that's when the moment that came, like, okay, you know, we got something really big and that's when I say you know what you know um, I'm gonna leave Wall Street and give this a try and then on the side of course doing some consulting work you know but a lot of times we're spending on this like Rebecca it's it, it takes time so I you know uh, um, a lot of time on the side and uh, gradually we, we, we raise the money you know and start building the platform yeah, that's that's cool. That's exciting, right? Like I'm going to enter a competition and then that's going to be my validation point where it's like, okay, I got something here. I better jump in all in. Uh, Rebecca, for you, like how did that kind of conversation go with yourself? You're like, am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? There was definitely a need. I can 100% see the need there. But how did that kind of conversation go with yourself? Yeah, it's interesting, Jason. Like it wasn't one particular moment in time. I was featured in The Hustle a couple of years ago for one of the biggest career changes that they'd seen from going to capital markets attorney to tech CEO. But at the time, it really didn't feel that way because it happened in very small 
incremental changes where I was working on it on the side. My life was extremely busy. My legal practice, I switched firms. It was taking off with the new brand. My husband was doing an MBA. We had two small kids. And at a certain point, I really wanted this platform to work and I believed in it and I believed it was a big opportunity. So as soon as I could get an MVB product working, I knew I could raise funding from that. And so it was just getting it to that stage and then getting a funding round done so that I could pay myself a salary to work on it full time, which, you know, is, is a big jump because it's not what I was making on Bay Street, but it was something that I believed in investing in. So I did that. I, I think it's cool. It, it, you know, we all have to make that jump, right? And 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 it, it can be very fun and can be very rewarding. And and I think that's a perfect segue kind of into our next topic is just the the, the raise, the journey of a raise. And and I'm glad I have both of you on here because you guys have Lewen, since you you've gone through it yourself. I know it's so fresh for you. And Rebecca, you've helped so many. Your company's helped so many people kind of start this journey and navigate journey. Um, you know, I think for anybody out there that's watching, listening, you know, the journey is, it is more of a marathon than it is a sprint. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions about that. So I'm so glad I get to get both you guys' perspectives on this. So, so, so Lewin, I'll start with you, you know, kind of just from someone who's just done it. And then Rebecca, from someone who from a, runs a company that helps so many people do it, you know, how do we kind of embrace, embrace that mindset of a journey of a marathon and necessarily a sprint? Noen? Yeah, for sure it's marathon. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and for, for most people thinking that, you know, they look, they only see the successful ones and they don't see how much work goes into that success. And, and, and for me, you know, I only kind of know that until, you know, years later, and I was talking to the founder of Waze, Uri, in one of the fundraising event, a charity fundraising event, and he was telling me that he did not get the first funding until eight years of trying and the whole family community all tell him this is a crazy idea you're not gonna go anywhere you know he's the one who said you know only take one person or one group or one platform to have you know a platform of, uh, of angels or you know to believe in you and give you that one chance so um Obviously, that's like the old model of VCs, and I think that still has its uh, its place. But I find, you know, um, the new way of raising uh, raising money is I think the crowd now start participating, and uh, I will talk a little bit more about <laughs> why I think this journey is so important for all the funders out there. Well, and I think that's a really good point. And Rebecca, I know you have a lot to kind of add to that topic. It's just there are so many different ways you can start this journey. And I think the first question is just kind of figuring out what is the most appropriate way to start this journey? What kind of advice do you have for those out there that kind of are in that place right now? I think when you're going out to raise capital, I my philosophy is always, you know, make five bets and expect four to fail. So similar to what Luen said, but in a different way. I say you're pitch, pitch, pitch all the time. You're constantly honing your pitch. 
and eventually that will lead you to success. I think a lot of people can get down by the amount of knows that they have to take, but that's just the reality of fundraising and that's the reality of being a founder. And so the quicker you can get into a mindset where failure is not a word, it doesn't matter, it's just something that wasn't yet successful, the more successful people are gonna be. Um, we at DealMaker really envision a world where online capital raising becomes mainstream and more founders are aware that they have three options for raising capital. They can raise VC, they can raise from broker dealers, but they can also raise digitally from a community. Every business has a community. It's just a matter of using that community as a source of capital. I, I, that's that's great. I also kind of thinking to myself, you know, because I've, I've gone through this and there's probably a fair amount of people watching or listening thinking this too. It's like, at what point? do I do it? You know, it's like, we kind of talked about the jumping off into the pool, just, just, just to get the business started. Now kind of, this is a pretty big next jump in kind of the business journey. And so, so Rebecca, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts for anybody out there watching, listening. Um, you know, when should I kind of start down this marathon? You can really start at any point. We see every kind of company, pre-seed, seed, series A, series B, of all sizes raising money. And so it's up to the founder how long they want to bootstrap and put their own money into a business before they want to take outside financing. It, financing is going to allow you to build the business faster if you're using the capital properly. And so that should increase the valuation, increase the revenues that you're driving, but you really have to think of the funding as, okay, if I take a million bucks today, where am I going to be two years from now? How does that impact the value of the business? And is it worth me as the founder giving up that equity to create that velocity in the business? It, it is. It, it's definitely a kind of a a conversation you have to have yourself. You have to be real kind of self-aware of like, okay, is this is is this something that I'm willing to do? Because it it's it's you gotta think more long-term than short-term gains. And Liwen, I would love to kind of get your thoughts because you went through this recently. What was that moment for for your company and the team at Whimsical to kind of go, okay, yes, it's time for us to do this and explore, you know, the raise. Right. Uh, we started with the traditional fundraising. You know, we have raised the money via the angels and we haven't gone down to the VC route. And but we were having the VCs uh, conversations and then, you know, uh, from all different directions, we know we have to give up so much in order to uh, raise the VC money. And secondly, um, giving uh, the nature of our product is two sides business and ultimately is really a consumer product. And so our business model is B2B2C and eventually we'll want to get to the consumer part and through the business, you know, and get to their end point. But the thing is, it's very expensive to get to the consumers. So when this crowdfunding idea came up, we said, wow, we can use uh, one stone kills two birds. We can get a word out and get a consumer involved for something that, that they would want to control their own data and be able to eventually monetize their own data. And so um, for them, it's something ultimately they have the control of everything from the cradle to grave. 
data. So that's how we look at it. And that's when we start looking into the crowdfunding and how was that involved. It was at the point of that say, okay, we're ready. It's time for growth. It's time for expansion. We're ready. It's 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 to take that next step. Now, by the way, taking that next step, and I and I have had many friends and have many conversations around that point of taking the next step. That that first step's pretty scary. And I think a lot of that that that, that fear comes down to just let's call it terms. They can be scary. And 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 yes, I might be great at building an amazing widget or running an amazing agency or, you know, any, but and that doesn't necessarily mean I understand all of the different terms and what are founder friendly terms. How can I make those terms friendly for me? I mean, yeah, if someone wants to give me money. That's exciting. That, But then is it the right thing for me? So, so Rebecca, I, I want to start this conversation for you because I think there's a lot of people out there watching and listening that are ready to kind of take that next step, but they're just, they're scared of just like, what am I giving up? Am I giving my baby away? Like, <laughs> how, do, how do we ensure that we get founder-friendly terms? So I think that's a main difference with digital capital raising and community raising. The founder is setting the term sheet and then they're going to market with it. And so, of course, you need the same way you need to build a product that creates value for people. You have to offer an investment that creates value for people. But it's different than with a VC or a broker when you have someone sitting across the table from you saying these are the terms and giving them to you, the founder. Sometimes I think people can think that's easier, but it's actually we called it in the law firm the power of the pen. If you set the terms, you define what's valuable to you and how you're going to make those people money. And then you go out and do that. And so a lot of times on VC financing, for example, you'll see preferred shares where the investor gets out money ahead of the founder. And there's small little nuances like that. Typically with community rounds or online capital raising, you don't see that people are offering a common share. So the investors sit alongside the founders. So there's many different nuances. A lot of times in brokered financings, you'll see kind of negotiation on the valuation. Whereas where when that's founder led, you're really going to look at the comparables and you're going to talk to some angels and to some advisors in your network. And you're going to think about what you can do in a couple of years with the money and where that puts the company. And then you're going to set a valuation that's reasonable. And look, and it's, that is all great in practice, but it can still be scary. I'm just going to, you know, so it's like, I'm curious for you, Rebecca, it just, how much of you guys' business, um, of course is, is technology, but also kind of advising, you know, uh, cause I know Lou went, you went through this process recently with Rebecca's company dealmaker. Um, you know, how much kind of, advising do you guys do with your clients? Um, we have a, a in-house broker dealer, so they'll do some, but a large part of our business is our partners network where there are capital markets advisors or law firms or valuation specialists. So there's a lot of people we have in our network that we can connect companies with if there's something that they need more specifically. And, and Luen, for yourself, because you just recently uh, gone through that, you know, kind of, you know, <clears throat> I'm sure it's scary, but then there's of course a buildup of confidence. Kind of walk me through the process for you. I have to say that um, we have a couple of choice. DM was one of them. And I find the whole process, they were very, very friendly and they were able to introduce us to the, 
they they uh, gap accounting firms and they you know reg cf lawyers that they were working with and you know they all of them have a few of them so we can vet them out but we also know those uh the lawyers and accounting firm that work with dm and they they're familiar with the platform they know the process you know and i thought that that was very very helpful and we this is our first time so it's very scary for us, you know, uh, we have no idea what's the process look like. So with that hand holding, you know, and warm introduction, any questions, shoots an email that really helped us, you know, to get on this path. And, um, and then, you know, they patiently explain it's a founder friendly and founder, uh, you know, business hosted versus the, other um, crowdfunding platform is like in the marketplace. You go there and thinking about it, you spend all the campaign money and get to this marketplace. And then people may look at the other stuff and and drift away from where they originally coming from shopping for, you know? So I, I like the idea that once they are coming, that once they come into our funding site, we are the only one, no one else they can see. So that's what comforts us. Well, and I, I think that's a big differentiating factor, right? Because you do have a lot of options um, when it comes to uh, doing digital raise, uh, fundraising. You know, um, I'm curious for yourself, Rebecca, um, what would you say are a couple, let's call it differentiating uh, factors for your company that really kind of you, separates you apart from the rest of kind of the competition out there? For us, as Luen said, it's it's the self-hosting and that really gives the company control over their data. And so they're really building an asset that they're going to walk away from DealMaker with and they can do what they wish with it. So we've had a lot of clients get beta testers or get um, longer term contracts. We really encourage and we've built out products so that the companies can communicate with their investor base even after the raise. They can use them as a source of capital. Some of our most successful issuers are multi-time raisers from their own community, and they have investors who have invested in every round the company has done. And so really thinking about that community powering the business and being an asset for the business can be monetized in all kinds of different creative ways that we're seeing founders do it, which is exciting for us. And then we just really try to share those best practices among all of our clients. So we'll have some clients who around the holidays will try a gifting component to their raise. And, and then we share those learnings with everybody else at that time of year so that we can really evolve this industry and make it more cost effective and even an even better source of capital for companies. That's really well said. And it's actually one of the things that I've always appreciated about you guys' technology is it really does uh, promote the fact that this is a marathon. This this is not a, a one and done and just get it over with. Is that, you know, it, it, it's a mindset. The raising is kind of a mindset and something that you do over a, a period of time. And there'll be significant points in the growth of your company where things might you know, escalate and you go bigger, but then you still kind of maintain it. And, and that really does speak to the marathon side of it. One thing I, I'd like to kind of shift gears a little bit and go into a topic because we had a chance to talk about a little bit about this before, before we started recording. And I think it's just super important topic to kind of, to kind of discuss because you, you Rebecca, you, um, you guys had mentioned some stats that kind of surprised me is just around female founders 
and how there's just there is a significant difference between both male and female founders and so I, I, Rebecca, if you could share some of that information with with our listeners, I think that'd be great and that'd kind of kick off this next topic for us. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. It's one of the things we're so excited about as we see online capital raising, community raising becoming a real pillar of the U.S. capital markets, some rating agencies have emerged, right? And so they're looking at the statistics around who's getting funded and how they're getting funded and what types of companies it is. And it really just emerged in the last year and a half that female founders were representing 10 to 15% of all equity crowdfunding financings. Whereas if you look at VC financings, it's less than 2%. So to me, having been in the industry my whole career, I always knew that 2% statistic for VC, similar for pubcos. And I probably just thought there are less women doing this. The reality is though, I know a lot of women who are entrepreneurs and it's so great to see Luen getting out there and getting financed because I think a lot of them don't think of it. But then when you see that equity crowdfunding is actually going 15% to women versus 2% in VC, that's a massive swing. And so minority founders in general representing close to 30% of equity crowdfunding. So it's, it's having a huge impact on different types of founders getting funded, which is incredibly exciting to us because I think you see that diversity in the types of businesses they build, the way they do business, and that's gonna have massive impact on the economy five, 10 years from now when those businesses really start to take off. That, make, that makes us so much sense. I mean, Luann, for yourself, I mean, being a female founder, you know, how have you found kind of going through the, the raise process, you know, was there at any point, did you, did you feel like, you know, this is, this makes more sense because I'm a female founder. That's what I'm curious. Well, I have to tell you, um, it's, it's definitely, I wasn't aware of that because, you know, it's, it's a, something that I don't think of it. I worked in a wash tree and I just, Put my head down and then you hear all those things the deal that made it in the you know men's bathrooms and all of that until you know until later on you find out decision has to be made i mean this is not new you know and especially for entrepreneurs um not just how we women feel when we go to present and you know right away you kind of feel uh right away they they you know they nodding they nice and everything but nothing come out of it we went through quite a few accelerators and and finally someone you know it's a friendly venture fellows is saying you know you probably want wanted to get someone you know um to coming online and with you and maybe because uh, you're a woman you know i don't know how much is true but if enough people telling me that i i would uh, you know assume that uh, has a lot to do with it and uh, it's difficult for us to raise uh, funding for sure you know i sometimes i don't know is it the the product you know that will have this you know visionary and they don't think a woman can do it and you know only men can do it i don't know but from the result i do feel that you know um mostly the, uh, if you have a lot of uh, funders or the core team member are men, they tend to raise money faster than women, for sure. 
as a well, and, and the stats show that. I mean, I hate to say it, but it, but it is true. Um, yeah, Rebecca, do you have any advice for uh, any female founders or female entrepreneurs that may be watching or listening right now and, and are considering going through that raise marathon? <laughs> yeah, lots. What's one way I can distill it? I, we have a women's group at Dealmaker. We talk a lot about imposter syndrome. I encourage people to read up on that. It's something that you need to combat yourself. Uh, Sheryl Sandberg's book was really instrumental for me in terms of recognizing where you're communicating differently in the boardroom than people would expect a man to. And so trying to change those habits, I think is a great use of time and making sure that you're communicating as aggressively as you can be, because I think women tend to speak to what they know they can do. I know I do versus speaking to what they think they can accomplish like 65% of the way men do. And so that's just a different way of communicating that can lead to different message being received versus what you think you're outputting. Well, that, that sounds like a great resource. Um, uh, and, and I think it's important. It is important. I think it, preparation is everything. Right. And, you know, I think, I think both for female founders and, and for anybody out there watching and listening, it's, it is, it all comes down to preparation mindset and understand that this is going to be a marathon do your research, find a great company that, you know, that will partner up or has a network of different partners that they can connect you with. And, you know, take the time, I, I think, to really kind of jump into it, you know, and but once you make the commitment, make the commitment, right? Uh, before I let you guys go, because I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time, because this has been a great conversation. I think some of the topics we covered today easily could have been just a whole another podcast completely on its own. Uh, but before I let you guys go, for every, everyone out there watching and listening, who maybe would like to connect with you or follow along and learn a little bit more about your guys' journey, uh, what's the best way to do so? Luen, I'll start with you, and then Rebecca, I'll finish off. I I'm in social media. I'm not big uh, on uh, you know active in the face uh, Facebook, but uh, LinkedIn, uh, or you can go to invest.walt.com. It has our contacts and my contacts there as well. Perfect, Luann. Thank you so much. And, and Rebecca, for again anybody out there watching and listening who would love to kind of connect and follow along with your journey and the dealmaker journey, what's the best way to do so? We're on all the platforms. So the website is dealmaker.tech. You can send us an email, info at dealmaker.tech. We're on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Dealmaker Tech, or myself personally, R. Cassaba or Rebecca Cassaba. Awesome. Hey, ladies, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a lot of fun. I, I think we've we've covered some great topics. Um, there's been some, some great just nuggets of information out there. Uh, if you're watching and listening to this, I encourage you connect with these two these two women. They are powerhouses. Lots to be lots to be learned and definitely check out both Whimsical and Dealmaker, uh, two amazing companies. Ladies, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason.